This week's episode is sponsored by Spaces. Spaces is a new platform backed by 15 plus years of educator feedback designed to document the process and progress behind student learning in your classroom. Join the Spaces community to connect with educators across North America and gain access to free teacher-created resources, help educators who are just starting out on their journey, and learn new things from teachers who have been there before. So visit community.spacesedu.com today. Uh, is this the teacher hotline? everyone and welcome back to another episode of the teacher hotline where we try to answer some of your most pressing questions for teachers in and outside of the classroom today we have cameron a teacher from calgary cameron what can we do for you today hey ron i'm a teacher from calgary and my wife is considering moving to the states for a job opportunity i'm fully supportive of the move but it means i would have to try and find a job in the u.s we both have u.s citizenship so that's not really the issue for us I would just like to know what it's like to teach in the U.S. I'm sure each school, state, and neighborhood is different, but I'd love to hear from someone's experience and hear how it compares to teaching in Canada. Thanks. Thank you so much, Cameron. Appreciate the phone call. Happy to help out. I was actually in New Orleans this past summer and was able to make a few connections with some American teachers. So today I bring in Melody McAllister, a marketing specialist from none other, you guessed it, Spaces, our proud sponsor of the Teacher Hotline. Ayo. But before moving into the ed tech space, Melody was actually worked as an elementary school teacher for about 14 years in Garland, Texas. She was the recipient of the Garland NAACP Educator of the Year Award. And she's also an author of a book called I'm Sorry Story, a children's book about taking responsibility for making mistakes and making sincere apologies. Melody, hey, welcome to the show. Hey, Ron, it's so good to be here. Thanks for asking me to be here. It's it's an honor. Absolutely. When I met you in New Orleans, you uh, you were such a firecracker. I loved your personality. You're awesome. And of course, you sponsored the podcast. It was a no-brainer. <laughs> Hat that got you get you on the teacher hotline. You have one of the few podcasts that I listen to. So it's it's really a pleasure. And um, I'll make sure that this gets shared out everywhere. <laughs> Oh, we're going to blow up in the States. We're going to blow up in Canada. This thing's going to go viral. Right. Um, so we got so much stuff to talk about. Um, I was actually on a plane with uh, an American teacher uh, on the way to New Orleans. We chatted a little bit about it. And some of the questions I asked him, I'll eventually ask you, because uh, I thought some of his answers were so fascinating. Uh, but before we even get into some of the nitty gritty stuff that the caller wanted, uh, just, I guess, starting at a very just like, high level, uh, you were teaching for 14 years in the... Um, public system. You are you work in marketing now in the ed tech world. Uh, you mentioned offline that you also do homeschooling now. Mm-hmm. So I guess I, my my first question for you is: Did you have a positive or negative experience teaching in the United States in the public system? What did you like? Did not like about the job? Right. Well, I think that any job that you ever have has comes with positive and negatives, and you have to 
probably embrace the positives more than the negatives, you know, to stay the course. Um, teaching is no different, but I do think that we face more challenging negatives. The positives that I loved, um, I just worked with incredible students and family, like in the community, I was able to live and be a part of the community that I taught in. And it was very diverse. And that actually made me a better human being. My kids got to grow up in that um, community as well. And so they didn't live in a very whitewashed world at all. Um, so that was something that was different than how I grew up. And um, I loved that time that I spent in Garland, Texas. It's a wonderful city. Some of the negatives, I think other teachers would agree the pay, I, I did actually start teaching in a tiny little town called Pottsboro, Texas. And when I first started teaching as a young 20-something, we were the lowest paid teachers. I, I made $27,000 a year. Um, my pay, And I was trying to pay off all the credit that I had accumulated through my college years. And um, that really sucked. I lived in poverty. I mean, I truly lived in poverty. And I remember the teachers that I worked with in that small community, they had husbands and, you know, they wore very nice clothing because it was a kind of, you know, a small town. It was a lot of business owners. It was, it was more wealthy than it was um, not. And I remember feeling like I didn't fit in. No, they wouldn't have said that. I The people that I worked with were very kind, but I remember that just buying a CD was like a splurge. You know, I couldn't spend a lot of money on clothes. I had a budget for food. I remember I can't eat ramen noodles to this day because of all the time I spent in college and my young teaching career eating ramen noodles, you know, because that's sometimes all I could afford until that monthly check kicked in. Um, th those are some of the negatives. Of course, I think, um, you know, when I started in Garland, well, actually, when I left Garland, no teacher, not even a first year teacher made under 50,000, which um, was kind of incredible for me knowing that it could, you know, that I had just from the, my prior experience of starting out. But I still think that teacher pay is too low, especially for all the things that we do. And a lot of, you know, um, people will say, just work within your contracted hours. Stop working outside of your contracted hours. That way you actually, uh, you know, are getting paid for what you do. But I just do not think that our job can be all inside of the contract hours. And I think that the system knows that, the leaders know that, the state knows that, they take advantage of that. And so their unwillingness to pay teachers for what they're really worth, I mean, it, it does, that probably is one of the hardest things to take in. And it, and then it comes with being, you know, disrespected. Um, but at the same time, I got to say that I made so many wonderful relationships. I'm still friends with many of my students. They're, you know, they they have families of their own now, which makes me feel super old, but they, they consider me a friend. Um, and I'm still very much involved with, you know, the, the parents, uh, former students, they're my friends. So I would have to say the positives outweigh the negatives, but the negatives are real and you just have to make a commitment. If you feel like it's too much, then maybe you should walk away for your own health and for your own personal boundaries. I, I felt like I was doing something great. I felt like I was making an impact and I was becoming a better person in the meantime. So it worked for me. Wow. You know, just hearing that, it's funny that you, you talked about compensation right at the bat, because when I was sitting on the plane with this other American teacher, without even prompting him, that was one of the first things he actually brought up. 
and uh, we had this very honest conversation about uh, money. And it was really refreshing just hearing what he told me he made, which is actually aligns up very well to what you are saying right now. My like jaw like dropped. I was like, what? That's how much you make? I know it's American dollars and you know, you guys have a better uh, currency exchange, but still when you convert it, it still doesn't translate to what the top of the grid of what Canadian teachers can make. And it just like blew my mind away that teachers made so little in the US given how important this job is. Um, but anyway, without opening a completely can of work, we could spend half an hour talking about really? that alone. Really? Uh, <laughs> we could. I, I want to maybe save that for one portion of our show once we get to that, or else we won't get to anything else, I think. Uh, but yes, you're right about some of the positive stuff. I think that does not really any different than Canadian teachers, right? You get into this profession because you really care about the students. You love being in the classroom. And it sounds like uh, that's something that you and I share there. Uh, so with that being said, then, why did you leave the, the classroom after 14 years? You, you ended up going in this ed tech space. You homeschool your kids now. Uh, why that dramatic shift? Right. Funny story. Um, a, a few years ago, about four years ago, my husband had emergency uh, quadruple bypass surgery for oh. his heart. And, um, you know, we have an age difference between us. He's 13 years older than me. So I was 37 at the time. Our youngest, we have five kids together um, and our youngest was six months old. And so he was actually a contractor with the business. He's in the, um, the, oh gosh, the telecom. He's in the telecom business. And so um, his recovery was about four months long. And the, con the, the business that he was contracting with, they actually let him go in the meantime and they could legally do so. So he was looking for jobs and the jobs that he wanted were all over the place. So it finally came down to Denver, Colorado or Anchorage, Alaska. And um, it, I totally... You know, I looked at both, you know, economies and everything, and I felt like Denver was a lot like Dallas and the rat race that kind of contributed a lot to his heart problems. It was genetic, but also, um, you know, the stress that he like in the commute, he had like a two hour commute for a 15 mile, you know, drive. And so um, it was just really ridiculous. So we decided um, it actually and ultimately came on to him. I said, you're the one that has to commit to this. And we decided Anchorage would probably be the best fit because it was a slowdown. And I only wanted to take one year off because of all the health stuff that we went through. And then when he was actually finding a job, um, he was traveling a lot. So before, we were full-time with the um, the firm in uh, um, Anchorage, he was, you know, gone for quite a bit um, traveling. And so it just put us in a very uh, miserable situation for a little bit. We survived it. But when we moved to Anchorage, I was like, you know, I would like to take a year off. I felt like I hadn't seen my kids. You know, I'm kind of a workaholic. He's a workaholic. And I just felt like our kids were getting the shaft after such a traumatic you know, few months. And so it was really only supposed to be a year, but then the pandemic happened and I had five kids and I'm like, there's just no way that I can burden the system with all of my kids. And I didn't want to be the victim of the system. After my husband's heart surgery, our health insurance was so poor and we were using my teacher health insurance and it was just such junk. Um, that I didn't want to be at the hands of, you know, a school system again, if anything were to happen health-wise to us. And so we thought, well, we have a good thing coming. I started, you know, doing some social media support for EduMatch Publishing, which got me in touch with a lot of different educator influencers. And I started working like different contracts with them. And um, like Alice Keeler, I love her. And I worked, I still work for her a little bit for the last couple of years. And then Spaces picked me up and I get to do both things. I get to homeschool. I get to um, work from home remotely. 
and do something that's still connected to education and makes a big difference. And um, it's just been a pretty amazing blessing, to be honest with you. And that's how I got into marketing. So (laughs) that's a very interesting path that you you took there, because I was trying to piece together in my mind, like how you kind of took that. We never talked about this when we saw each other in person, but that's a very interesting path you took. Now, without talking about this too much, because I know we did a whole episode on this about homeschooling. uh, If you were to kind of sum up um, maybe the main reason why you decide to homeschool your children now versus sending them in the public system, given the fact that you were a public school teacher for 14 years, uh, what was kind of that main reasoning for that? Yeah, well, one of the, besides, you know, just being um, protective about, you know, the pandemic and my two oldest are about to go into a middle school. So they're actually reentering public school this coming school year. But the reason that I love homeschooling actually is just I get to teach my kids and we don't have to worry about grades like they understand the learning process and grades are not their crutch. So they know they have to stick with it because quitting doesn't help them get to where they want to be. And um, I was able to just really watch them flourish. And it really made our bonds a lot stronger. I think I'm actually, you know, one of these days, I think I'm going to go back into the public system and teach. I love teaching. And I think working with my kids and seeing them and how they individually learn and pick up actually has made me a better educator. I'm going to be able to use that when I go back into the classroom. So I'm pretty grateful for the whole thing. Mm. So let's talk about your your time in the classroom then. Um, Just out of curiosity, what does a typical eight to five, eight to three, nine to five, whatever your hours were, what did that look like, you know, back when you were in, in Texas there? Yeah. So I was always there early. I loved being the first teacher in the building sometimes. And um, I used to be one of them that lo- that stayed the longest. But after I started having kids, I decided to put some boundaries, uh, um, just, you know, getting ready in the morning, making sure that everything was ready to go so that when my kids came into my classroom, it was ready. Then greeting them at the door was something that I absolutely loved. Uh, I left teaching first grade. And something that I loved doing with my first graders was we always sang a morning song and it was lean on me. We did actions with that. And it was just like a, a really great way um, to start the day with a clean slate. And I do believe that every day I gave my students a clean slate. Whatever happened the day before, um, I just, today was a different day. I, I believe that for every year as a fifth grade teacher, for most of my years, I taught fifth grade. I cannot tell you how many times, you know, I was told about this student or that student or what to expect. And I always try to just put that out of my mind. And sometimes I I try to say, hey, like, that's okay. You don't have to tell me that story. Like, I don't really want to know. I mean, if I need to know for other reasons, but just behavior reasons and and things like that, negative experiences, I didn't really want to know. It just made me dread what was to come. So, you know, I try to put that out of my mind, but I do believe that clean slates are one of the, the best ways to make sure that you can have a relationship with students. And I think that some of my students had the best years in my classroom that they'd had in school so far in the fifth grade. I think some of the parents um, that were attached to those kids had some of the best, you know, had the best year. They finally got over or were able to kind of forgive some of the bad experiences that they had had or just give school and teachers a new chance because of the clean slate. But then during the day, you know, I I taught um, all subjects at some time self-contained. There were a couple of years I did that and I loved it. I also taught just science a few years. I taught math and science a few years. So basically, I just tried to make everything as hands-on as possible, make sure that, um, you know, if kids were bringing cell phones, you know, put those cell phones to action. I loved Nearpod. Oh my gosh, um, Nearpod and vocabulary. So the fact that my students would bring it because this was even before we we had like every student had a Chronebook. What's you know, a, we sorry, would have what's to a share. Nearpod? 
Nearpod is um, an ed tech company. They they have these lessons that are on your phone, mm. and like you can do. It's really it's really a cool like people in the ed tech that are into it probably know what Nearpod is. Mm. And then Flocabulary, they came together a couple of years ago. So two of my um, most favorite ed tech platforms came together, and um, I, so I just I tried to make the class very relevant to my students, um, very fun. You know, I think it's it's important to have fun in class. And I think it's important to be able to laugh through those really hard lessons. And just to say to my students, um, you know, I know you're struggling right now. Math was always one of those subject areas where not all of my students felt comfortable. And I'm just like, if you can just hang on with me, we're going to work through this. You're going to understand more than you think you are. Mm-hmm. If you just if you just allow yourself to keep going, even when you feel like it's hard or you don't understand, I will meet you where you're at and we're going to make progress. And I don't think there was ever a year that we didn't make progress. Um, I had quite a few students, and I'm not bragging on myself by any means, but that said that this was the first year they'd understood math. I mean, just realizing that you can, and that's why I loved being self-contained, just to have that little bit more of time um, than having to stop after 50 minutes and and go to a different class, but having that extra time to have small groups and to really work with students where they were. So that's important. So I uh, just, I was doing a little bit of research before I jumped on this episode with you. Um, I, I found on our Reddit forum that uh, there was a, I guess, a, an expat that decided to move from Michigan to uh, to Ontario. And they, I guess this parent was comparing kind of the, the math curriculum. And mm. they, he made this comment that he said, based on his daughter's experience and what he's looking through, that the American system is actually more challenging, especially at the younger ages. I, and I, was, mm-hmm. I, I don't teach elementary school, so I have no idea even what Canadian kids are learning in grade five. But out of curiosity, what, what type of math, like what were you teaching the kids in that math um, yeah. back in the day? Well, I want to be really critical right now and just say that we have made the standards in math too difficult too young Mm. and we don't need to. We have really cut off our nose to spite our face with the math curriculum. Um, Some kids get it and some kids, I think it just doesn't need to be the struggle that it is. So So you're saying it it is too hard. It is. It's ridiculous. And we, we go through it so quickly that the students don't understand the why. So the things that I taught my fifth graders in math were things that I was learning in middle school you know, a couple of decades earlier. And I was able to understand those concepts, even though I did struggle a little bit in math, like it, nothing came really super easy to me, but I was a good student. And I, I figured out how, like I figured out how to get help and make sure I really wanted to know I'm an intrinsic learner. I really wanted to know, even if I didn't understand. Um, so I, I was able to learn through difficulty math. It wasn't my favorite subject, but I, I never wanted to be in the dark about it. But yeah, um, I was teaching things, you know, fractions, um, like, you know, how to put them in lowest terms. I know I'm not using the correct vocabulary right now. How to put it, um, you know, those, just that the methods that we were doing teaching were stuff that I was learning in middle school, but I had a really great foundation. I'm going to say that my elementary teachers, I understood what multiplication meant. Um, I learned my timetables and now we push kids quickly through math that they don't understand why multiplication is important. I watched my four-year-old. He's been obsessed with numbers since he was three. And, um, he multiplies naturally. He doesn't say times. He's like, hey, five fours equals 20. And he knows his multiplication table so much better than my older kids because he gets it. And so when he goes into school, he's going to he's going to be, you know, he's going to be king of the multiplication tables. Mm. He's going to understand fractions because he knows how numbers work. And it's a natural. We play with numbers and we're not allowed to do that. Play is like less and less now in schools. Um, and so I think older kids struggle because we force them 
uh, to know things quickly. And so in this process of, of trying to teach them so much in such a little time, they don't understand the foundation of math, math and they're not able to put it together. So it makes no sense. Interesting. You know? Yeah. Cause I, again, I don't know the elementary curriculum, but I just thought it was really interesting that this parent said the, uh, yeah. it was such a big difference between the curriculum. Clearly you as a teacher agree with that. So, uh, hmm, right. We're teaching algebra. We're teaching, you know, algebra in fourth grade, what? sometimes younger. Yeah. And I didn't get that until I was in middle school. So. I didn't get that until grade eight, actually, I think. Mm-hmm. Algebra, interesting. Yeah. Um, and some of them are just concepts, but I do want to say that it's, it's needlessly hard and difficult and challenging. Right. Hmm. What about the uh, school year? I think I remember you, I, heck, I think I even saw you post something on Twitter that the school year starts in August. <laughs> is that, yeah. what, is that a thing in the States? Well, yeah. So it's, I know some teachers started in late July. Okay. Um, some schools go all year round. They take like two week breaks in between semesters, you know, throughout the year. So a lot of schools, so my kids are, my two oldest are going to a public middle school and their school starts, you know, in a couple of days. Um, and I know we're going to hear this in, you know, later in November, but like my kids schools, they start in the middle of August. Some on the East coast, you're more than likely to be after September, after Labor Day, that's when they start and they go till late June. Okay. But, um, here in Alaska, yeah, we, we get out in like May, you know, half halfway through May. And then we go back in August and where I was working in Texas, we used to start in August and then go to May. And then for a few years, we started later and went later, but now I think they're even back to, they've already started like last week, their students came back in August. Mm. And so, um, yeah, so it just depends on where you are. West coast schools have already started for the most part. It can, it can change between like, you know, private and charter and public schools and, and different regions. And then you've got like, I know, um, there are a lot of schools that are, you know, all year round again. So they, they take breaks and start at, you know, various times. It's so fascinating it's that the, depending on the region of the states that you're in, the school mm-hmm. year, I guess it's still 10 months regardless, but I guess it just has different, uh, different start times and end times. Interesting. Uh, what about- Well, I know in Texas, it was like 189 days. Oh, I have no idea. How something like that. Yeah, it was like days. And then we went to hours. And of course, I'm probably wrong, but it was it's strange. Yeah. Mm. And I think states have the ability to change it up, like how long they're going to go for, like whether they're counting days or hours. Interesting. Mm. That's mm-hmm. something I don't know anything about. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, what about training? What's the difference? I guess uh, I'm curious to hear about the training that you need to have in order to become a teacher in the States? Is it just a four years bachelor and then maybe an extra year to go to teacher's college? Like, How does that all work? Funny you should say that. Um, Well, of course, it's naturally you have to have a bachelor's and I have a four year um, degree right now. They they need teachers so bad. They're like in Florida, they're taking people that are from the military. So like if you're a veteran or you were married to a veteran. Yeah, because the teacher shortage. So instead of um, meeting teachers where they are here and saying, okay, we'll up your pay. We'll make it more beneficial for you. They're like, fine, we don't need you. We'll pick these people. There, no. It's a sub shortage. Of course, in some places, there's not a shortage. I was, um, I was talking with a teacher. I believe she's on the East Coast. And she said she's having a really hard time finding a job right now because in her area, there's not a shortage. Of course. Um, so- 
But I think overall, there is a shortage. I know here in Alaska, there's a shortage. There's a bus driver shortage. And I don't think, yeah, that's that. I don't think that's unheard of um, in in different states as well. Like, you know, there's shortages of everybody. But yeah, we definitely, um, we do a four-year degree. Um, If you're smart, you'll get a master's degree. I haven't gotten one yet because I didn't. I didn't know what if I wanted to do it in education. I still don't mm. know. Um, but I do think it's smart. But the only thing about it is then you accumulate a lot of debt. Your salary doesn't necessarily mean you can pay it off in a in a in a fair amount of time. So I get the I get the um the challenge there. But at the same time, I look at other countries where most teachers have master's degrees and they're paid better and they're respected more. So yeah. there's, you know, there's that. So battle. the masters, does it up your salary? Yeah, it, well, in my district, it it upped your salary three thousand dollars a year. That's it. More than yeah, I know, right? Hmm. So just to clarify, so you need a four year undergrad degree, and then I'm assuming you're, you're did you say you have to do some sort of additional training, like one or two year, like teachers college yeah, type so- degree. Like a bachelor's of you education. You have to. You do. You do it. Um. You know, your last year is as student teaching, and you do that for a semester, and you it's unpaid. But I think that some colleges and some are getting smarter, and they're starting to pay hmm. because most interns, like we do, a teacher's work, and you it's hard to keep a job when you're actually working a job. Yeah. So, and it just. The the compensation overall and being a teacher and starting out is very, very hard. I started out poor and I was poor for very long until I, you know, married my husband. So, um, right. but anyway, yeah, what was the question? I totally forgot. I forgot too, but doesn't matter. What, <laughs> what um, my, my mind's going elsewhere now as you're talking. Uh, what, so what do you start at then in terms of uh, compensation? Fresh out yeah, of college. Well, Fresh out of college. Right. You know what? I know some in the Southern states, um, a, a teacher that's a 10-year teacher he was in an admin position. He was clearing 40. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, like, you know, when I started working in Garland, I was in the 40s automatically. And that was like three or four years in. Is that good? So that's bad. 40,000 a year. I think it's bad for being in there 10 years. Okay. And being I wasn't in sure based position. on, uh, I guess, in your circumstances. Yeah, no, I think it's terrible. Yeah. Of course, in his community, he could afford a nice apartment and everything. So it, I, I think it goes with the economy. But I think... um yeah, like you know, starting out, you're not going to make much. And it depends on where you live. You know, on the West Coast and on the East Coast, they pay a lot more. Mm-hmm. Alaska pays more. So um, but of course, it goes with your standard of living. You know, if it's higher to 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 live, then they're going to pay you higher. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to feel compensated because, you know, your rent or your mortgage is higher. So, I mean, if I didn't have my husband and I had to raise my five kids by myself, I would totally not be able to do it. So I'm just curious right now. I typed in $40,000 US, convert that to Canadian. That's about $51,000 in Canadian dollars. Um, That's what we would start out at roughly uh, Mm. as like a fresh out of school. Um, So that's right there. That just blows my mind away that that's what we started. And that's what someone in 10 years is at. So what do you, what would you say is the highest maximum earnings potential for a teacher Roughly speaking, regardless of maybe if you're in the east or the south or right. Well, it it, it actually is going to um, change right. whether you where you go because I know I have a friend on the west coast who makes ninety thousand. He's in California. Ninety thousand. Right? 
Right. And, and then you think of the cost of living there. Right. It doesn't feel like 90,000, like where I am, like where I am, I'm thinking, gosh, 90,000, I could, I could do okay. Um, so it, it does vary. Unfortunately, there's not really. And if you look at a state's average, it doesn't mean that that's what you're going to get paid. Like the average in Alaska, I think I looked it up before we moved here was 60,000. Um, but I don't think that every place pays that, you know, that's just the average of earnings. So what? it's not standardized. Yeah. Like it's not standardized. You know, unions are not standardized. You don't have to belong to a union. I mean, there's nothing about teaching in our country, in the United States that is standardized except for the testing. That's the most mind boggling thing in the world. We're going to standardize grades, but everything else, let's just figure it out on our own. <laughs> it is mind boggling. So I forgot to bring that up about unions then. Um, so there are unions in America for, for teachers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we, well, we have unions, well, we have a union here in Ontario. It's one of the most powerful unions and causes the government a lot of problems a lot of time. Good. Uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of, so unions is a very like, you know, divisive, uh, touchy topic, subject. A very touchy mm -hmm. subject. Some people are pro union, mm -hmm. like, ah, other people hate unions. Um, but of course, one of the pros for union is, as you mentioned, you know, you get to fight for compensation. So right. are unions not fighting for these things in, in, in the States or like they are, you know, you don't have to belong. I don't know how it is in Canada, but you do not have to belong to a union. So I didn't always want to be a part of a union. It did, um, I also looked at the politics of the union because if they were spending a lot of money lobbying for things that I didn't believe in, I didn't want to put my money with them. I think the best thing about unions are um, they will represent you if you go to court. And that is actually something right now. I feel like we're in a time where the witch hunt is hot and um, with all the, you know, like everybody thinks CRT, you know, um, you know, and we're talking about race all the time in the K through 12, which we are not. But the politics here, especially on the far right, you know, they're trying to pin teachers down and, and, and prosecute them. And so, you know, I think if I were to go back into the classroom at this point, I would definitely belong to a union. I would definitely want that um, representation because I know that I wouldn't be able to afford it on my own. If, if one of not, not that that ever happened when I was teaching in the public classroom, um, but I know that it's a real thing. I have watched um, some of my colleagues go through some hard times because of complaints from parents that were not always based on truth. You know, and they had to, you know, and then their names were dragged through the mud or they lost their position. So, right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, in Ontario, where I'm from, um, union is mandatory. You don't have a say. Like, you become wow. a teacher, you're part of the union. And mm -hmm. that comes out of your paycheck. Some people, like, I, I've never used the union. Why the hell am I paying for this? And other people, mm -hmm. like, this is money well spent. Um, other provinces, I can't really comment on. Um, but yeah, no, unions definitely mandatory here. Um, so with that being said, then if you're unionized, does that mean you get better pay and benefits because you are, you have someone fighting for, I don't know, better compensation or is that a fair you correlation? Think, I think that there, I think in some cases it does, but I don't think overall because they still have to fight the politics, you know? Um, and, and a lot of teachers, it's so crazy. I see how, I think politics is probably the most divisive thing um, against teachers because there are a lot of teachers who are voting politicians in who want nothing to, that, that don't pass anything good for teachers like or schools. Like they're voting in people that are actually putting on the witch hunt and, and right. demoralizing teachers and education and not putting money, like not giving the funds that we need in our schools. Right. And so that's just a mess. It's a hot mess in a lot of places. Wow. And I, I think in some areas they are for sure probably doing well, but I don't think right now I just don't. And maybe it's because I'm just 
watching the media, but I don't feel like there's really great representation right now that's happening for teachers. What about pension? Do you guys get that? Um, I We do. We do. Tell me, ask me about my retirement and I would laugh hysterically. Um, <laughs> How's your retirement? <laughs> don't, don't ask me. Don't really ask me. I don't want to tell you about that. Um, <laughs> but generally speaking- so We do have a teacher. Okay. There is we do pension. have a teacher retirement. Yeah. Mm-hmm, we do. Is it something that is it good? Like, is it something that teachers? It could be. I, what I think is crappy is that you could work, um, and Social Security is taken out of your check, but you're not supposed to be able to um, to be able to access that Social Security once you retire. It's just teacher retirement. Mm-hmm. So, if you've spent a lot of years and you know and and been giving to Social Security, you should have both. But oftentimes, they make you only or you're only allowed to take your teacher. And I don't even know if it's going to you know Social Security. I don't know if you guys have that in Canada, but I don't think that it's going to be around for much longer. Um, so, so, so you know, I think retirement. we call it something else. The social security, that's like when you retire, the government kind of gives mm-hmm. you like a small lump sum of money each month, right? Yeah. Yeah. But we, they've been taking out of your check for, you know, as a worker. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. We call it uh, old age security. But yeah, I guess it's the kind of the same thing. Really? They call it old age security? Old age security. There's actually two. There's old age security and then there's, um, oh my God, I teach this in accounting. Why am I forgetting? There's another one as well. <laughs> there's two streams of... Uh, retirement incomes for, for, I guess the, the population. But um, let me ask you something. They really call it old age. Yeah. Old age security. OAS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we want you to so know funny. that you're old, that you're over 65 <laughs> and remember that every time you get this check. <laughs> that is so funny, but I love learning about it. That's yeah, cool. I know. But yeah, it sounds like it's the same thing. Um, what about benefits? Happy with the benefits down there or? Uh, heck no, I hated the benefits. And when when my husband was contracting and we had to use mine, I just felt like we were paying to stay legal, like we had to have health insurance, but it was crap. Mm. And um, we had just gotten out of debt and then everything health-wise um, just put us right back into that. So I, I, I no, teachers do not get the best. Uh, right now, um, we are on my husband's and he gets such great health benefits that even if he hates his job, sometimes I'm like, you can't quit. Like, this is the best health insurance we've gotten in so long. We have five kids, like you got to stay the course. And, um, and, but I think that makes it worth it. You know, um, if you have good health benefits, right. So interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. just switching gears now, uh, another hot topic in us education is I want to talk about is safety or perceived safety in the classroom. I feel like you definitely have an opinion on this. I feel like every teacher has an opinion on this Yes, coming from the other side of the border, we obviously only see what we are given in the news and the news doesn't really make it sound like things are great down there in terms of, you know, classroom safety and whatnot. Um, so I kind of want to just hear your perspective. Um, you know, Canadians, I think in general perceive teaching in the States as a very unsafe environment anything can happen down there. Um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, you know, touching a hot topic, you're talking about school shootings, it, it can be frightening because you you put yourselves in that position. You think, man, that could be me. That could have been us. So mm-hmm. were you, I guess my first question is, is that something that was ever crossed your mind? Did that ever worry you? Or is that just something, I, I don't know, like what, what yes. goes through your mind when you see something like, like that pop up in the news? You know, with the last school shooting that happened in Texas, I I was so angry. I was just, you know, 
all I could describe is the F word. I'm just so sick of this happening. And yes, I I, I was in Texas. And so it hit really close to home. Um, I have been in a lockdown situation with my fifth graders, with my own children wow. in the in the building. And it wasn't a, a gun, but I didn't know that at the time. It was just a parent that was completely unhinged, going bonkers in our school. And at first I thought it was a drill, but it was during lunchtime. And we don't do drills during lunchtime. And I just... You know, we do drills every month. We have to do um, fire drills. We have to do lockdown drills um, every month, you know, and um, it is scary. I remember, you know, by the time they were in fifth grade, my students understood why we had to do this. And I had to really tell them, like, don't be a hero. It's not your job to be a hero. It is your job to be hidden and and quiet so that you don't get killed. You know, you are not the person that's going to stop a shooter. Um, these are real conversations. With my first graders, even though they had been to school in kindergarten, possibly pre-K, they, you know, talking about this was really hard and um, they don't really understand. I was going to say, do they even get it? And, you know, they're the the likely target. Your kindergartners and your first graders, they're usually at the front of the building. And so they are the ones that are going to get hurt. Now, I was usually a fifth grade teacher when my own kids, they were in kindergarten, they were in first grade, they were in second grade. And yes, I thought about it all the time. I thought about when we were in the computer lab, it's right at the front of our building and it was encased by glass. Mm. I was just like, if we were in the computer, um, if we were in our computer class and somebody came through our building, they would see us automatically and we would be goners. I mean, these are definitely thoughts that I've had, wow. you know, um, it is, it is scary. And the thing is, you don't know when it's going to happen. It doesn't matter if you live in an urban area or a rural area, school shootings happen everywhere. And look at the last one that we had in Texas, the last major one. Um, I mean, you're, you're talking about border patrol. You're talking about all these, you know, these these people that should have known what to do and they did not do well. They did not do right. And I think that you can prepare as, as much as you can, but when the real thing happens, like it, it, it's chaos, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's not best case scenario. People die, people get hurt mm -hmm. needlessly. And, um, you know, like I, I'm not opposed to um, having a gun, owning a gun, but I don't understand the the rifles, the assault rifles that people have. And most gun owners in my life, family and friends, they are all advocates of better gun safety laws and, um, you know, having better background checks. They are not opposed to that and they are gun owners. And so I just think that we have it wrong in a lot of areas here and we need to make it safer. Has it been something that I thought about as um, a deterrent to put my own kids into public school? Yes, definitely. Wow. Like I was ready to put every single one of them back into public school. And then the summer happened and I'm just like, you know what? I'm just not ready yet. And that's definitely one of the reasons why. And um, because I still have kids in the lower grades and um, wow. it's just, it, it is very scary. It's, it, it's needlessly scary. I feel like instead of trying to um, prevent it from happening, we're always trying just to, after it happens, we're just trying to navigate those water afterwards or, you know, it, it just seems like a cluster. Can I say a cluster F? You know sure, what I'm talking absolutely. about? You could say whatever. It, I'll it's just a put complete an cluster I'll, fuck. I'll, I'll put an explicit uh, <laughs> note on this episode. So there you go. Uh, Every time I speak, you should put that explicit. <laughs> it's a Let's just say it's the a gun fuck. situation is a cluster fuck. Okay. And right. I think anybody, even if they don't cuss, would agree with me. Right. What did you, 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 you're from Texas, or I should say you taught in Texas for a long time. This shooting was in Texas. I'm sure this shooting in particular was hit a little bit closer to home for you. Like I'm sure, like I looked on Google maps, it's about six hours difference. I think a drive between where the shooting happened and where you were teaching. Uh, what, what was the first thought that you thought when you saw that on the news? 
you know, I mean, it's hard for me right now. I'm getting, you know, I feel really emotional. I just cried for days um, because it just was so violent. And, um, you know, it was fifth graders that were killed. No, it was fifth graders too, eh? Yeah. Um, It was, it just, I was so angry and I'm still angry. It just seemed, and then they tried to make it like a teacher's fault that she, that a teacher left the door open. What? And that wasn't, and it wasn't the teacher's fault. Like the way that they tried to blame, and, and they could have gotten that shooter. They could have gotten him and prevented no. him. Everything went wrong in that situation. And I can't believe how much time the media spent and how that district spent on trying to blame, or probably it wasn't the district, it was probably law enforcement, tried to pin it on somebody else's, their fault. When they could have kept that shooter from going, they knew the shooter was going crazy before he ever even entered the schoolyard. Um, it, it's just, it, it's, it's. It's just disgusting. It could have not happened. I can't believe, and especially such a heavily um, law enforcement area that that's, that it happened the way that it did. And I'm just still angry. Um, I'm emotional over it. I'm just, I'm scared that the next one is going to happen now that school is back in session. Mm-hmm. You know, how many weeks away is, you know, how many weeks I, I, through the pandemic when everybody was remote teaching, I loved that we didn't have any school shootings or yeah. you didn't hear about it all the time. You know, um, I, I'm starting to wonder like when the next one is going to be, and it's just I hate having that feeling. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because it could be prevented. So, so you mentioned a couple things in terms of preventing or I guess lowering the chances of this stuff happening, right? You talk about better uh, gun laws, whether it's background checks and whatnot. Is besides, I guess, gun law stuff, or maybe that's just the solution. Uh, what do you think needs to happen, like from I guess up top? to change this narrative from, from the stuff that you're talking about from happening again, is that simple as maybe just better background checks or does it need to be more than that? I I mean, I don't believe that it's a simple thing. And I, and I mean, if it were simple, hopefully we would have found the answer already, the solution. Um, It it is complicated. I I think that it's very political, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, law, law uh, people, especially on the right, they're always you know, spouting that about the second amendment rights, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're using that to keep like, you can, I think you can go to like a gun show and you don't have the same background checks that you do. Like if you were go to to a store in a city, I mean, like people are getting their hands on guns in ways that are not legal and and it's rampant. And I also think that, you know, the NRA is huge in our country. Um, They, you know, a lot of our politicians are right in their pockets. The lobby is strong. And so they don't, you know, they're being paid not to speak out against the NRA and the NRA probably if the NRA actually cared about the school shootings, if they actually cared, they would probably change their practices. But I feel like even saying that is such a pie in the sky, you know, type of, you know, answer that it would never happen. I honestly do not think that changes are ever going to happen. I mean, we're looking in the United States, they do drills where they they shoot teachers and students with pellet guns. What? They do. Yes. That's they a drill? Do, I, they do these oh drills. God. They pay companies to come in and do live active shooter drills. And so I've had friends that have had to go through this training that it's mandatory. And um, I think that in itself is traumatizing. And then people will say, well, you have to be prepared. Well, why do we have to be prepared to be shot at school? Yeah. Why do we still think that that's okay? Wow. Why don't we spend money instead of 90, like in Texas, I think it was over $90 million the last year I was there in testing. Why don't we spend that money and making our schools safer, maybe having more, you know, you know, protection or whatever? Why are we still spending so much money on testing and not protection? I mean, there's just so many ways that it's wrong and, you know, and we're still just, 
navigating the the after effects. You know, we're not trying to be a part of the solution. Not hard enough anyway. I was very curious about um, the stats on this. Um, and before I jumped on the call with you, you know, you, in Canada, as Canadians, we only hear, again, like I said, what's reported in the news. And, and I feel like not every school shooting gets put on the news, which is crazy right. to even, number one, even think right. that that happens. And I don't know how the news kind of decides which school shootings to help the public and which ones to mm -hmm. kind of keep hush-hush. Um, so I pulled it up. And uh, this this honestly blew my mind away, uh, the, the, the numbers, to be honest with you. And I don't know if this kind of aligns with what you guys see in the States, because I'm sure Canadian news is different than, than what you guys are getting down there. Uh, 2022, so this current year, apparently, this almost doesn't even seem right. Apparently, there's already been 27 school shootings. Wow. Including the one that just happened in, I'm like, what? Well, I feel like this is the only one that we've heard of so far, at least in Canada. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of 27 school shootings in the States up to this point, but that number seems a lot. And then in mm -hmm. last year, 2021, apparently this is the most ever uh, in a school academic year. It was 34 school shootings. Wow. And of course, 2020, you were bang on, which totally made sense with the COVID year. There was only 10, so we didn't hear about it too much. But still 10, like, are you kidding me? 10 right. school shootings? It's mm -hmm. wild. And then 2019, 2018, 2024, uh, just 24. So you add that all up between 2018 and 2022, that's 119 shootings. Mm. And mm -hmm. since 2009, apparently CNN reports there have been 288 school shootings wow. compared to Canada's. Could you even guess? Take, take a guess, actually. Three? <laughs> I don't Pretty know. bang on. Two. Wow. Since 2008. Uh, uh, these numbers almost seem fake. Like mm -hmm. these are drastic, crazy numbers that we're looking at mm -hmm. here. Um, and the scary part is you don't even hear about most of them. Right. Right. Yeah. I think if I, and sometimes, sometimes when they piggyback on each other, yeah. like you're just, you're not, you can't even emotionally deal with it. You just, yeah, it's another one, just another one. Yeah. You know, um, I swore that this last one, I wasn't going to forget that I was going to do everything I could to prevent it yeah. from happening. But um, by week three, I was already moving on with my life. Yeah. Right. You know, you add this in, you know, all the, the, the safety and then compensation benefits and, you know, all these things that we talked about, man, it's, it's a, that's a tough job down there that you guys have. It is. Cameron, you should maybe look at a field, a I different know, field. Right? <laughs> Cameron, maybe go into banking when you go into the state. <laughs> Teaching does not seem like something uh, you should be doing down there. But honestly, like I remember when I was again going back to the guy on the plane to New Orleans, the guy was like, "So like, yeah, I think um, I don't want to teach down here anymore. I'd rather just come to the come to Canada and teach." And he was yeah. He's well, my husband, yeah, he loves Canada. He's already he's ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> come on down, <laughs> or come on up, or up, come on up. I guess or right across. We're we're neighbors, and you know Alaska. Yeah, Alaska's I mean north. here's. I feel like we focus. Yeah, we're right. We're we're borders with right. um, can, you know, Canada. Yeah. I feel like we focus a lot on the sad parts of teaching in our country. And I would just say that there are so many dedicated educators that are doing amazing jobs every single day, regardless of the negative points that we've talked about. Um, and that's why I love educators. I think they're the greatest people on this earth. I know that I probably will return to the classroom eventually because, like, I feel like right now, as much as I love my job, I just feel like there's something. 
that it's just not hitting for me because that connection with young people mm. is what really drives me. And so, you know, yeah. I agree with that. that I, teaching is amazing. I agree with that. When I was down in New Orleans, that conference was mostly Americans. And, mm-hmm. you know, you would never think that, you know, these teachers, you know, had some of these issues uh, or have to deal with all of these issues on a year to year basis. Everyone was so happy. Everyone wanted to be there. Everyone chose to be there. And mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, I think that's one of the similarities between Canadian teachers and American teachers is ultimately you're just trying to do the best work possible in the classroom for your students, regardless of what grade, what area, what region. Um, we love the job. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, even with the pay, I never really thought about the pay. I think with whenever I had more kids, that's when I started to think about, well, maybe because if something happened to my husband, you know, I should be scared because I don't think by myself that I would be able to. But, you know, um, before that, I really never worry too much about the pay after, you know, maybe five, six years in, I was, I was doing very well. Uh, but it, but, you know, I think about it and I thought about this lately. I am privileged to be married to somebody who makes, you know, so much more than I do. So mm-hmm. regardless, if I choose a low paying position or a high paying position, I'm going to be okay. You know, as long as I'm married to him, he makes, right. a, you know, a decent paycheck. Right. So I feel like, a lot of times that privilege is what keeps a lot of women because, you know, teaching, especially in the United States is, you know, mostly women yeah. and um, we're, you know, it's the same thing with them. They can, they can last, they can get all these, you know, pay for things, you know, outside of their, their school budget because, you know, they've got two incomes. So right. that's kind of a rabbit hole or whatever, but mm, we could probably spend another hour <laughs> yeah. on that. Speaking of time. Oh my God. We definitely went way over. I couldn't cut you off. We had a pretty deep <laughs> conversation. I loved it though. This is good. This is going to be, this, like I said, we're going viral after this episode. Um, so maybe why don't we wrap things up, uh, Melody? Uh, anything exciting coming up from either spaces, uh, maybe a new book from your part, uh, anything to, to watch out for? Anything, uh, what can you tell the audience? Yeah, well, I'm going to say for spaces, you know, um, if I use spaces, you know, homeschooling with my kids, it's a really exciting platform and it's free for teachers. So definitely check that out, spacesedu.com. And, um, you know, as for me, I do, I have one book that I've already written called um, Booger Eater. And I'm just, <laughs> I just need a freaking illustrator. And a lot of people are afraid now that that, um, you know, Toby Price was fired after reading, I need a new butt. Like a lot of people don't want to take these subjects, but kids need fun books. So if you're <laughs> listening and you want to be an illustrator for my book called Booger Eater, um, so if I've read it, all the kids that I've read it to love it so far and it has no illustrations. So that's my second book. I might self-publish. I'm not sure, but I do want to make a sequel to the I'm sorry story. So I'm, um, that's in my head right now. I am what I do. And I write for other people as well. I'm blogging all the time. You can find me at every, on every social media, MJ McCallie writes. I know that's a terrible like marketing name, MJ McCallie writes, but it's just, it's just who I am. Okay. Um, so what are you on Twitter? With two L's. What are you on uh, yeah. Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook? Where are you Yeah. On? Yeah, all of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm on all socials, and so Melody McAllister. You Google me. I'm the number one Melody McAllister. So there you go, me. <laughs> uh, Melody. Thank you so much. This has been such a, a fun and deep conversation. I love your personality. I love your your tone. I love your energy, and uh, I, I could have spoken to you for another hour or so. So, uh, thank you so much for for coming on to this episode today. Thank you, Ronald. I appreciate it. It's been an honor to be on your podcast. And thank you to all of our listeners, of course, for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. And of course, don't forget to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, Google, wherever else you get your streaming podcast from. Uh, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. All right, guys, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Take care.